Welcome to The Jury Is Out, a podcast by and for trial lawyers looking for better ways to serve their clients. Your co-hosts are John Simon, founder of The Simon Law Firm, and St. Louis attorney Eric V. Welcome to another episode of The Jury Is Out. I'm Eric Veith. I'm John Simon. Today we're going to talk about Vordire again. We did an episode that we will probably look back to as a the introduction. And today we're going to go into some general considerations. So yeah. John, I'll let you, let you kick it off. What I did is I made, a, I made a list of a couple dozen things, sort of practical tips for Vordire. And I, that's really what I wanted to talk about today. I, I think the f- number one... What you need to do is explain the process. The most important thing is to get, get the people talking, get the panel talking. If, if they're not letting you know what's on their mind, there's no way you can accomplish what you need to accomplish in Vordire. It, it only works if everybody is open, honest, and candid with their answers. And this is something you need to explain to everybody right up front. I ask the group for permission to speak with them. I let them know that there are no right and wrong answers. I let them know that the process only works if everyone talks about their thoughts and their feelings. That's easier said than done. I let everybody know nobody's going to argue with you. Nobody's going to disrespect what you have to say. No one is going to try to get you to change your mind. We just want to know what you think about certain issues, how you feel about certain things. In many group contexts, if you went into a group of strangers and just started asking questions about some topics, you might be seen as rude and invasive of their privacy. And I know you, you, you explained the process, but it might take a bit for that to soak in, and it might take some reassurance by you as a lawyer to say, yeah, really, I, I really want to hear what you have to say, and I'm really listening, and we're not judging you. How do you, how do you uh, finesse that? Because I know you, you, you can state that the principle, here's what we're here to do, but there might be some people there that are thinking, I would rather be a 1,000 miles away right now. I say, look, I don't like being called on and being asked personal questions about my life and my background. And I give them an example of being in, in school, college, law school. I would always be the one sitting in the back of the classroom. I never really raised my hand. I would rather get through that class without, without getting called on. And I think that's what mo- how most people feel. And I tell them, look, unfortunately, I'm going to talk to everybody. I'm going to try to talk to everybody. And I really want to know. I, 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 I want to know what you're thinking. Really, you need to uh, conduct your voir dire as a conversation rather than an interrogation. You need to do way, way less talking and more listening. And one of the things is get used to pulling more information out of the, out of the person. For instance, if, if you ask them a question about what do you think about the fact that the client wasn't wearing a seatbelt, okay, and they're going to give you an answer and say, well, why do you think that? How long have you felt that way? Tell me more about that. And then you can use that person as, as a launching point to go to everyone. Who else agrees with that position? Let's hear from you. What do you have to add? And then I say, who, who doesn't agree with that? And just getting an open discussion, and I think that's the best thing you can do. It's sort of like getting a fire going, and it, and it, and it spreads across the room, and you're, you're moderating. You're asking, yes, you know, Mr. Smith, what do you think about that? Ms. Jones, do you... Do you agree with that? Why not? Tell me more about that. How strongly do you feel about that? And, and boy, you will, people will open up. If, they, if you can get them to open up, your job is easy. So first thing, again, is explain the process. Let them know why you're doing it. Let them know there are no right and wrong answers. And, and tell them flat out, it just doesn't work if we're not hearing what they're thinking. Secondly, next, I would say what we just said, keep them talking. 
ask open-ended questions, build rapport with the jurors using open-ended questions, show the jurors that you're likable, respectable, credible, polite, you're willing to listen to them, be creative in your attempts to have meaningful dialogue with them, be a listener, be a good listener. What do you do about the fact that some jurors know enough about the process that they're thinking, if I say certain kinds of things, I might be on the trial or off the trial. So they're thinking about how to strategize rather than just being open. Sometimes you run into people who it's fairly obvious that they're, they want to get off. That doesn't happen too often, but they're just answering questions because they want to get off the panel and they don't want to be there. And, and frankly, if that's, the, if that's the case, I'd rather not have them be there anyway. I'd rather let them elicit the answer they want to elicit, ask them uh, the question to allow them to get themselves off and send them somewhere else. That dovetails with our next point, be a great listener. And we would expand that, of course, not just listen, but observer, because there's lots of good things that go on, lots of interesting things that go on. Here's the thing. You need to show a genuine interest in what they're saying in their answer. And and for God's sake, you should have a genuine interest in their answer. That's why you're there. It's the other thing, too. You know, a lot of times you're, you're asking information that's very personal to that person. For instance, if you have a case with somebody who's a quadriplegic or, you know, in a, have been burned horribly or in a terrible accident, and you're asking about a friend or family member that they know or whether they've cared for somebody who's been in a wheelchair, and you don't just want to hear the answer and go, thanks, and move on to the next, you know, person, you really need to acknowledge that answer, respect that answer. I'm sorry to hear that genuinely, and I'm sorry you had to go through that. I'm sorry about your mom or your dad, and, and really thanks for sharing that with us. Acknowledge, talk to them. This isn't a checklist. It's not a questionnaire where you're going through, okay, A, B, C, you know, check it. And at the same time, while your, your job is to get them talking to get information, certainly that's the job, but you're trying to do it in a way where at the same time, you're establishing credibility with the whole room. You're establishing the fact that we're fair. We're not trying to to, to do something that's misleading or dishonest. You know, your credibility is the most important thing you have. How you conduct yourself during that board dire really speaks volumes. It seems like being a good listener dovetails perfectly with credibility. If you are a good listener, and not the kind that just hears the words, but the kind that hears them empathetically and actively and likes getting to know these people, that lets them get to know you. Yeah, and the other thing, and we've, we've already touched on this, if you're the one doing the questioning, don't take notes. It's a conversation. It's not an interview. Let others take notes. Let the note taker argue the challenges for cause. Free yourself completely to have an open and honest conversation with the jurors. When you take a note, you've not only stopped the conversation, you've, you've paused it, and there's this unnatural break, but you've also advertised to people out there that whatever was just last said is something that you're going to write a note about, whereas something else you did not. And I think that interferes with the conversation in another way, in a bad way. So the next thing is make them trust you. Be yourself. Be sincere. They know why you're asking questions. Don't alienate jurors. Uh, never patronize jurors. As a group, jurors are smarter than any single person you know or will ever know. Uh, patronizing jurors will cause resentment. You're looking at, you know, 60 of them and eventually 12 of them. That's a really formidable group of people able to generate ideas and concerns, and they will bounce things off each other in ways that you can't in your own head. So it's, uh, it's 
it's formidable and you need to respect that. You, you might be thinking, I've been trying to be a lawyer for 30 years, 40 years. I know a lot of stuff. Well, you don't know it all. That's a, a good reason to come in there with some humility. We've talked about establishing credibility. I think you need to look for specific ways to establish, create, bolster your credibility during voir dire. Let the jury know it's okay for them to decide against your client if you don't prove your case. And, and I do that almost in every voir dire. I'll say, look, there are two sides of this case. You're here to listen to them. We have a dispute. If we don't prove our case, it's okay for you to find against us. And I think that does a whole lot. It's almost like you're trying to you know, sell something to somebody otherwise. If somebody's trying to sell you a car, and they say, this is a great car. But you know what? My competitor's across the street, and he's got some good cars over there too. You might be better received than if you tell them, you know, they, they got a bunch of crap across the street, and I'm, I'm the only good car dealer. So anyway, that's just some examples of things you can try to do to uh, bolster your, your credibility in a very sense. You, should, you know, obviously you need to do it in a sincere way. Yeah, absolutely. We've talked about don't alienate any of the jurors, never patronize. The next thing is embrace bad answers. Embrace bad answers. And let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. I've had panel members, people on a, on a panel, a Vordire panel, and I'll, I'll bring up maybe tort reform or lawsuits in general or whether there should be a cap or limit on damages. And, you know, it, it happens often enough. You'll get somebody who will say, you know what, I think all you guys are shysters. I think this is a bunch of BS. I think all of these lawsuits are frivolous, and all it does is raise insurance prices and costs of goods for the rest of us. That's just the way I feel. And how do you respond to that? You know how I respond to that? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for being honest and open and candid. I don't agree with you, but I absolutely respect your opinion. And what he's done, he, he or she, is helped you get that out in the open, make it, a, make it a topic of conversation. The other thing is that person has made it a whole lot easier for other people to speak up, other people that feel the same way to speak up also. And I will say that. So, Mr. Smith, that's why we're here that's the whole purpose of what we're doing. I want to hear how you feel. Don't sugarcoat it. Tell me the unvarnished truth about how you, how you feel about it. That's what you've done. Thank you. And then turn and say, who else feels like that? And get some more hands up. Because guess what? He's just helped you identify people on that panel who are, are, are going to be bad for you. Have you ever had it where someone stands up to make that type of argument and they do it so well and so articulately? that you start losing faith in, in the process. Like, I, I don't know if I'm going to recover from this, or is it always good? If they're not saying it in front of you before that trial starts, they're going to be saying it back in the jury room when you're not there. So I never feel bad about it. I don't care how articulate or whatever. I'll ask them to stand up and say it again and tell me more about it and why and get everybody to join in because I want them to get themselves off of my, my panel. There's just no, there's Eric, there's no <clears throat> down. I'm convinced there is no downside to bad answers. There's a way to put it that will remind you. The old saying, love your enemies, and, and it's never more true than in Vordire. That's what you want. You're there to identify the people who aren't going to be good for you or biased, prejudiced against you, your client, the case, and that's what you're there for. You don't want to hear people telling you how wonderful you, know, you, you are for bringing the case and how terrible the, the, you know, the, the defendants are. You really want to hear you know, the bad things. There's a higher purpose to all this because we want our trials to be meaningful. We want to be proud that in our courtrooms that 
people who are very much neutral can listen to the evidence and come up to a decision based upon that evidence. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the other things, too, is don't be boring. Never be boring. And I'll give you a couple examples of how you can be boring without even recognizing it or realizing it. You want to ask individual questions to members of the panel. And I've I've seen this before, and I just see people cringe. You know, you've got the same three or four questions, and you start going down the row in, in the jury box. Juror number four, Miss Smith, tell me where you work. What kind of job do you have? And then you go to the next one, and you go to the next one, and and then you know they're they're you looking at people are starting to look down their row and see eighty people, you know, behind them, and they're like, for God's sake, this is going to be like mind-numbingly, you know, boring, and it's going to take six hours. So what I do is I break it up a little bit. I ask individual questions. I make sure I ask a question or at least, con, you know, have, have some conversation with everybody in the room is what you want to try to do. But what I'll do is I'll, I'll do it six or eight at a time. In other words, ask some individual questions of six or eight jurors and then, then move on to some general topic and engage everybody else. And then after a couple of those questions, move back to some more individual questions. It breaks it up a little bit. It doesn't make it as, as monotonous. And here's another thing, too. Have a whole list of questions. Really think hard about some meaningful questions that draw out information that you want and require people to talk and explain. You know, for instance, you know, if you could choose a different job, what would it be and why? You know, have you had any experience that would help you arrive at a decision in a case like this? Uh, Has anyone here had a similar experience to what happened in this case? Is there any particular background you have or qualifications that would make you a good or, or not so good juror in this case? How do you make decisions? Are you a, a black-white person? Are you kind of more the gray area? But the list can go on and on. But the idea is don't ask the same three or four questions every single person sitting in the room. You really need to mix it up a little bit, make it interesting. And, and the other thing, when you make it interesting, if it's really a meaningful, interesting question, the other, the other jurors in the room, they want to hear the answer too, right? When you're asking that to one person, they're thinking about what their answer to that would be. And, and do, that, do it that way. You know, what, you, what, would you, what about you? What's your answer to that question? You know, keep everybody talking and engaged. One of the other things that I think you need to do in Vordire is deal with damages. For instance, if you have a case where you're going to ask whatever you're going to ask for, whatever the amount is at the end, you don't want people to be surprised or shocked. And so what I like doing is laying a foundation or anchoring a little bit. I'm not into giving a number. I, I don't give a number. I know some attorneys will try to give a number in Vordire or in opening. And I don't like doing that. And part of it is I really don't know what I'm going to ask for until the end of the case anyway. I mean, things change. But what I do is I will at least bring out the issue that the damages being asked for are a significant amount. And sometimes I might even compare it to the economic. For instance, if there's a life care plan, I will say our life care plan has a range of future medical costs of 10 to $12 million. And that's not the largest component of damages in the case. So they've got some understanding or basis for the amount of damages you're going to ask for. And I think it's a legitimate question because some people are biased or adverse to awarding significant amounts of damages for pain and suffering, for mental anguish. Another thing, a lot of people feel that there should be limits or caps on those types of damages. And you certainly want to know that before Vordire is over. 
I mean, obviously, if somebody has a bias against awarding full and complete and fair compensation, you want to know that before the case starts. I assume you occasionally have somebody in a case worth a life care plan of $3 million who might say, uh, there's no way, no how I'll ever award more than $2 million. And then there might be some silence. And yet this needs to be a robust conversation. It's a critical conversation to have. Another issue, a big issue, when do you introduce your client? Sometimes we have our client in the courtroom for voir dire and other times not. You know, the question is, should you have your client in the courtroom during voir dire? I think a lot of times you might be better off not having your client in the courtroom. And, and one of the reasons is I think jurors will be a little more open and candid than if your client's sitting there. And another thing, too, that sometimes happens, you know, if your client is very seriously injured and it's obvious if they're paralyzed, if they're in a wheelchair, they're missing a, a leg, you're not going to get the same type of honest, candid answers as you would if they weren't in the courtroom. And what I like to do is, is I go first in the voir dire, and I will typically ask almost all of my questions without bringing up what the actual damages are in the case. And I'll give you an example. I had a young man that I represented in a case, and it was a trucking accident. His car was hit by a, a tractor trailer, and he lost his leg. But I was in a venue where I anticipated a lot of people would have trouble awarding damages, you know, significant damages, and more specifically damages for pain and suffering, mental anguish. You know, I was in a, what I thought was a conservative venue. And so what I did is I had my client, and he was a young man, 21, I think, 21 or 22 years old, sitting there with me with his leg missing in a wheelchair. I'm asking the jurors about too many lawsuits or frivolous lawsuits. or, And I think one of the questions I asked was, who here thinks there's too many lawsuits? And usually when I ask that question, two-thirds of the people in the room's hands shoot up. And I didn't get one hand. I don't know exactly how I asked that question, but it was a question similar to that, and I got not one hand in the courtroom and I was stunned and told everybody in the room, I, I'm stunned. I've asked that question many, many times in different places, and I've never had a situation where nobody has raised their hand. And I think maybe the question was too many frivolous lawsuits. And so finally I zoned in on, uh, actually he was a, a local pastor in a, in a church, and I asked him, I said, Pastor, what gives? And he said, well, Mr. Simon, we all know that there are frivolous lawsuits, but this isn't one of them. We can see this young man who's terribly injured, and it's obvious. So what I did was it really eliminated my ability to find out what these folks really thought about that topic. So I think you really need to think about whether you want to have your client there during voir dire or not. When your client is there, what do you tell your client as far as what to be doing, where to, where to be looking, should they be taking notes? Absolutely not. I don't think your client should be taking any notes. It's the kind of thing that you talked about before. Even during trial, I don't like having my client at counsel table. I will have the client back in the pew or back in the courtroom, seating away from the counsel table. I don't have my client typically sit with us at counsel table, and, and several reasons. One is the jurors are watching the client 24-7. I mean, their eyes never leave the client. They're not paying attention to the witness. They're not looking at the witness on the stand or paying attention to the testimony. And the other thing is, your client is going to react, no matter what you tell them. They're going to react to evidence, most of which they're hearing for the first time. And those reactions might not be what you want. I kind of like to control 
what's going on in the courtroom, control what the jurors are, are, are seeing. It's much easier for your client to be not in the spotlight, so to speak. Our next topic we've already touched on is you need to ask something of every juror, right? You need to make sure you find the people who are quiet and and somehow find an excuse to get them talking about something. Yeah, you know what? That, that's not a good position to be in or a good spot to be in where the questioning's all completed and you're all huddling around trying to figure out, do we, do we strike this juror or that juror? You know, you have five and you're trying to pick and then somebody will say, you know what? Juror number six never said anything. And so nobody, you have no idea who this person is. You don't want that to happen. You really want to make a point of speaking to everybody. Even if it's just a couple, two or three questions, you really need to make a point of talking to everybody on the panel. I don't know where I've heard this, maybe a movie or some book or something where somebody said, it was supposedly a lawyer who said, give me the first 12, that's fine. And uh, you know, we, we've come so far from that that even one juror who we, who, who's a question mark is a big problem. It's, a, it's, a, it's not good to not know something about even one person. In Missouri, there's a statutory definition of what needs to be shown to get somebody off for cause, and it's 494.470, and it says no one who has formed or expressed an opinion concerning the matter or any material fact in controversy in any case that may influence the judgment of that person. And as you, as you know, that's not unfair. That's not biased. That's a fairly low standard. It's a very low standard. And so don't raise the bar for yourself. Another important thing to keep in mind is when you're questioning a juror for cause and you're exploring possible biases or prejudices, avoid using the term fair and impartial or biased or prejudiced because most people don't consider themselves under any circumstance to be unfair or to be a biased person. Both of those have a very negative connotation, both in the courtroom and outside the courtroom. I think the better approach is to use phrases like, how do you feel about that? Do you have very strong feelings about that? Tell me more about that. And just let them talk in their own words about those strong feelings and what makes them feel that way and how it might have some effect on some issue that they decide in the case. This goes back to one of our first principles, to get people talking. So even when you avoid whether someone's fair or impartial, there's, there's tricks to asking these questions to avoid one-word answers is just stop. For instance, if you ask someone, would that affect you, that could be a yes or a no. But if you ask someone, how would that affect you, that would be more, uh, more inclined to get the person talking about how it might affect them. Absolutely. You know, the other thing, too, is when you're asking, eliciting information, it's, it's not really fact-gathering, although you do get some facts. But I think what you're looking for more rather than facts are opinions, beliefs, and values. I mean, those are really the key things you want to find out. Those are the most important things to know because they'll, they'll serve as a framework or a filter through which jurors will view the case and, and through which jurors will filter the evidence. So you need to think of some good, creative, open-ended questions that gives you information about their beliefs and value system. Right. We're, we're dealing with the, the world of emotions. It's a trick, right, to find ways for encouraging people to express their emotions in terms of words. It's a tricky process. We take it for granted because we, we deal with people all the time and trying to figure out what they feel. But we all know even when you're dealing with someone you know very well, you can ask a simple question when you're really looking for an emotional value or a value judgment. One of the things you need to do is to anticipate some of the 
uh, challenges that are going to be raised by your opponent. And a lot of times in, in personal injury cases where you have a client who is catastrophically injured, they will zone in on sympathy, and it's very effective. I've had cases where several people who would have been good jurors for us are bailing out because of how questions are being asked and how they're being framed by the other lawyer. And so I think you need to address that before they are asked those questions by your opponent. And specifically, you know, I stress the difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy is not something that they should base a a judgment on or a verdict on, but empathy is okay. Sympathy is feeling sorry for someone. Empathy is trying to put yourself in their shoes and see how they feel about what happened to them. And I tell them, you know, empathy is fine, but not sympathy. And point out to them, we're not looking for sympathy. And I will address the panel and address them individually and say, look, can everybody here promise that they will not decide this case on sympathy, that they'll follow the law and, and the facts in, in the case? And I tell them, we don't want sympathy. We've had enough sympathy. Uh, we're not here for sympathy. We're here for a fair trial. And that's what we want you to do. As a lawyer, you're, this is one of the many hats you wear. You're helping the jury to understand that the words should be carefully used. Because if you say sympathy, the courts don't like that because it's probably a proxy for saying, I'm going to ignore the evidence. And of course, you don't want that. And we all want the jury to look at the evidence. So summing up here, Eric, for Vordire, have a plan. Keep the end goal in mind. Try to identify bad jurors and get them off. Educate and introduce the jurors to the issues in your case, and build some rapport with the jurors and and establish credibility. Good guiding principles, harder to do than to say. Lawyers that I've talked to over the years will will all tell you they're always learning. Every, every, Every time they try a case, they're always learning more about how to do this better. Yeah, and you know what? There's only one way to learn, and that's to do it. So uh, keep working on it and uh, keep trying. And that's it for today. John Simon. Eric Beeth. We'll see you on the next one. John and Eric would like to hear from you. They invite you to email your comments and suggestions to comments at thejuryisout.law. To learn more about the dedicated trial lawyers of the Simon Law Firm, visit simonlawpc.com. 